Steve, and thank you, Henry. Good to see all of you tonight. The, the outlines are here if you'd like to pick one up. Those of you who are joining us online, good to see all of you. May the Lord bless you, and we're glad that you're with us tonight. Uh, students are at camp, and so we're in the summertime and all that goes with it. And I'm glad all of you have made your way tonight as we continue to study the book of Philippians uh, together. And so uh, we'll uh, begin there in just a moment. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. So Heavenly Father, we thank You for this day that You have given us. We thank You for these days in which we live. And as we've just sung, we'll work till Jesus comes. We'll work till Jesus comes. And so Lord, tonight as we think about these last days, and the end being near, when You will come again, we pray that You might give us insight and understanding into Your Word. Right now we pray for those who are burdening our hearts. We pray for them in whatever condition they may be in. We present them to You tonight. Uh, we, we pray that your, your will would be done in their lives and that they would see that what You are doing in their life is Your best for them. May they be willing to accept what You have given to them. May they be grateful for it. We pray for those who are we're burdened, who do not know You as Lord and Savior, who need to be saved. We pray, Lord, that You would awaken us as a church, that we might share the gospel here as well as around the world. And we pray that You might help us to be faithful to the one that You've given us. Many of us have have our one that we have committed that we would share the gospel with. And so we pray that you would help us as we do that, that they might be saved. We do ask for uh, the ability tonight to clearly understand your word and not to live in distraction for just a while. What a wonderful privilege it is to gather around the word of God and to have fellowship around your word. May we relish these times and we remind ourselves again that this Wednesday night will be over now for from now on. We can never take it back. This day is just about done. Now I pray that you might be pleased with the way we have sought to live today and what we have sought to do. That we've brought honor and glory to your name and that we've worked truly the works that you've given us to do of sharing the gospel and making disciples. We pray for our boys and girls and all of our... We thank Brother Ken and their ministry and Tim and the students as they're at camp. May you move among them in a great way. And we pray then for our time again on Sundays we gather to worship. And we thank you now for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So we come to chapter 4. Chapter 4 has some famous uh, verses in it. Tonight we'll focus primarily on verses 1 through 5. Uh, so let's read that together. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, in this way uh, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I urge Yodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. 
Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Now, Heavenly Father, bless the reading of your word, and may the Holy Spirit be our teacher tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. My focus tonight, as I'll take these comments, is that uh, believers must live joyfully in these last days. Believers must live joyfully in these last days. You have somewhat of a parenthesis here uh, on time. And so uh, bear with me for a moment. Some of you have been with us uh, week by week. Some of you have not, so you're not familiar with this. So I go back now to chapter 3. There's a parenthesis here. There is a parenthesis. So the, Paul is ending this little section. Uh, let me say for all of you who are here, this is a prison epistle. Paul had a number of these, and he writes to the Philippian church, one of his, some of his dearest, dearest brothers and sisters in Christ, a church that he planted. And uh, so he's writing to them, encouraging them, and has given them many different uh, challenges, charges, and, and uh, exhortations. But now he says, the Lord is near. Verse 5, the Lord is near. And so uh, we'll take that tonight, and then next week we'll take it as we go forward, because the Lord is near is very important as he does this. But we were talking back over in chapter 3 about running for heaven. About running for heaven a few weeks ago. Are you, what are you running for? What are you running toward? And all of us are running toward something. There's an urgency in our life. There's a, you know, some of us are running toward getting in as many trips as we can because we think that's going to be what satisfies us. Uh, we're running for uh, our, our, our work and our, and our possessions. We're running for something. What are you running for? Well, Paul talks about this in detail when he talks about what he counted as loss and what he counted as gain. I've got to do this review because it demonstrates why we'll be talking tonight about living joyfully in these last days. And Paul gives us, as you, you, many of you already know, the, the disadvantage of giving you the outline is you've already read the points and now you'll just kind of drift off. But anyway, try not to drift off. Stay with me. Uh, there are some things that we must do in these last days. However, however, we're running toward heaven. He said in verse number 7 of chapter 3, now get your Bible, follow along, whatever things were gained to me, I've counted these as lost for the sake of Christ. To know Jesus Christ, everything else in my life is secondary and is loss. The gain is knowing Christ, being saved. The loss is all of these things I counted before. I count all things lost, verse 8, in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. His gain is Christ. His gain is the knowledge of knowing Jesus Christ. The gain is to be saved, to be found in Him. This is His way of describing salvation. To be found in Him. Uh, found in Him. United to Christ with the righteousness of Christ, given to us, as we learn from Paul, imputed to us, given to our account, as we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, repent of our sins and are saved. Being found in Him, verse 9, not having a righteousness of our own from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes uh, on the basis of faith, that I may know Him. This is the ambition. As I'm moving forward in my life, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death. And here we go, in order in order for something in the future, in order that I might ob 
attain to the resurrection from the dead. The glorification of the believer. The glorification of the believer uh, glorified in the glorious place of heaven. In order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, verse 11, uh, not that I've already obtained it or have already perfected it, but I press on. This was that word I mentioned to you. Pressing on, running, pushing forward so that I may lay hold of that which upon which I was laid hold of by Christ. You see, this is that whole point that connects back to Philippians 1.6. He who began a good work and you will complete it. What has He done, my dear friends, my brothers and sisters, when you were saved? The Lord began that work of sanctifying us, making us holy, making us more like Christ, bringing and purging out with, by the Holy Spirit, cleansing us. Uh, as uh, He had mentioned before in chapter 3, verse 3, we're the circumcision. Uh, who, who uh, we are the true circumcision, who worship in spirit and glory in Christ and have put no confidence in the flesh. This glorious activity of making us more like Christ is going on. That's why we go through the things we're going through now. We're, but we press toward that for which we were laid hold of by Christ. We were seized and saved by Christ and now we run we press to grab hold of Jesus Christ and that which is in heaven, not on earth. And I do not regard myself, verse 13, as having laid hold of it, but one thing I do. Here it is. I forget what is behind. I forget the, the farther I run toward heaven, the less of the world I care about. Forgetting what lays behind me. Uh, what things laid behind him? Well, he talked about it. Verse 5, he was circumcised the eighth day, the nation of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, law as to the law of Pharisees, as to zeal persecuted the church, as to righteousness under the law, he was found blameless. All these things, forgetting them all. Forgetting them all. They don't matter. I'm pressing, I'm reaching forward to what lies ahead. I'm pressing on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God. Upward call, the call to heaven, the call to glory, the call to be glorified and to be with the Lord Jesus and experience all that is beyond our imagination. Beyond our imagination. Let us therefore uh, so I press on toward the goal, the prize of the upward call of God in Christ. Let us therefore as many as are perfect, as mature, have this attitude. If you are a mature believer in Christ, this is your attitude. This is in your mind. This is your mindset. All right, so this was my point. You, ha you have this picture of running toward heaven, and then we're reminded in verse 20 that our citizenship is in heaven. Uh, from which we uh, eagerly wait here on the earth for a Savior, the Lord Jesus, who, here we are, here's this detail. Last week I didn't spend very much time, and I'll spend a few more minutes tonight. Please look at this careful description of what will happen to your mortal body when you are glorified as a believer in Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory. We'll have a glorified body like the Lord Jesus Christ. By the, notice 
How does this happen? How's our body transformed? By the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. That's the power of Jesus Christ. At the last trumpet, the trumpet of God will sound. The dead in Christ will rise first. Great and glorious resurrection at the calling out of the Lord Jesus of his saints. So we have this... Uh, Pressing and running toward heaven to lay hold of what we've been laid hold of. This is, this is the direction of your life. If, if someone says, I, if they pride themselves in being a mature Christian, you think a whole lot more about heaven than you do the earth. You think a whole lot more about Jesus Christ than yourself. Or don't call yourself a mature Christian. Maybe Christians are still caught up in all of their little uh, items and matters and... And, and things trying to learn the importance of being spiritually minded. But the spiritually minded have a different, um, exert themselves in a different way. We press for heaven. We press for it. But we're still on the earth. We're still on the earth. But our citizenship is in heaven. I know I have a citizenship in America, and I've got my driver's license here in Tennessee, and I'm grateful for all of those things. That, but my real homeland is heaven. It's not here. My citizenship is in heaven. So is, so is yours if you're a believer. And we're eagerly waiting, but we're here. We're exiled. We're here. What did Paul say earlier? He said to us, we, we talked about this in detail, he had this desire to go be with the Lord, but if it, was of, if it was advantageous for him to stay, he would stay in order that he might accomplish what God has for him to do. Uh, this is, you know, I'll read it to you. It's uh, Philippians 1.23, I am hard pressed. See, this is the mature person in Christ. The hard press between the earth and being here and being in heaven. I am hard pressed from both directions, 23. He's pressed. He's compressed down. He's squeezed. He has a desire to depart and be with Christ. That is much better. Yet to remain in the flesh is more necessary. So for a season, we are here because it is necessary for us to be here as followers of Jesus. We'll see Sunday, the Lord has work for us to do. It'll be our, it'll be our uh, truth that lasts on Sunday. We have work to do here. It's necessary for us to be here. Why does the Lord uh, save us and leave us here rather than save us and take us on to heaven? We have work to do. We have the work of the Lord to carry out. That's God's design. But we're hard-pressed. And I come back to say to you again this very important statement of Paul. Let therefore as many as are, verse, this is 315, perfect, have this attitude. The attitude of what he's just described. Forgetting the things that are behind, reaching toward the things that are before you, thinking more about heaven, thinking about the glory of Jesus Christ our high priest in that glorious place, thinking about what it will be to be glorified and to be with Christ forever in an eternal, unbelievable, uh, beyond time and space experience. 
and to be with the Lord, and thus shall we be with the Lord forever, is the way 1 Thessalonians describes it. Enjoying the pleasures of God forever, as the psalmist said. There are pleasures at your right hand forever. The pleasure of being with God. So there's this pressure. I, am, I, am, I have this, as I grow in Christ, I long and yearn to be with Him That is my great desire, but it's necessary for me to be here. And then we see it again. And then Paul finishes the parenthesis, the Lord is near. The Lord is near. So that gets us ready. Now I'm ready to go through the outline and help us to see this tonight in its context. Therefore, you notice Paul, I know who's in here tonight. You, you know what Paul does. Therefore, we love Paul because he's very logical and orderly and, and he puts things in structured ways for us. Therefore, so because of all this that he's been saying in chapter 3 that I just elaborated on. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see. Now he's back on the earth. He's, he's running to heaven. He desires to be there. He hasn't attained glorification, but he wants it. He's forgotten all the things behind. He's stretching toward the things that are before. His citizenship's in heaven. He's eagerly waiting for the Lord Jesus to return. This is is a mature man in Christ. This This is the way you think as a spiritual man or woman in Christ, in maturity. Therefore, my beloved, whom I long to see. But right now he's in prison there in Philippi. They are his joy and crown. He loved the Philippians so much. They were his ministry children, as we talked about last week, but they also are his joy and crown. In this way, stand firm in the Lord. So now he begins to say, here's what you must do while you're still here. So the Lord is near, what do I do? Between between the now and when he comes. Well, number one, stand firm in the Lord. Stand firm, please notice this, in the Lord. And then notice in verse 2, live in harmony in the Lord. And then please notice verse 4, let rejoice in the Lord. And then finally, verse 5, the Lord is near. So all that we do in this world, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. I now live, you now live as a follower of Jesus in Christ. So this is the first call we have here. Our citizenship is in heaven. On, and I'll go to the outline here. Uh, we wait for a Savior eagerly from heaven to come again, Jesus Christ. And at at His coming, there'll be a great transformation of our corrupted bodies into glorified bodies. This is at His second coming. He'll transform our bodies by the exertion of His power. And uh, He does this because all authority is given to Him. Everything is subjected to Him. So what do we do? We stand firm We persist. It's what I'm talking about on noondays. If you can join me, if not uh, live, you can always go back and listen to it. Today we talked about persisting in loneliness. 
There's not a one of us in this room who hasn't experienced loneliness. And in the other seasons of your life, you will experience loneliness. So how do you persist in it? Well, we learn to stand firm. We persist. We persevere. We stand firm. Now, this word is important for us because it de demonstrates that in this world, we don't get pushed around. See, this, this is the challenge of the new believer, uh, being pushed around by the world, being pushed around by the evil one, being pushed around by our flesh. No, stand firm. Stand your ground. Stand where you are as a believer. So I've given you some places here. Uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 16, 13, be on the alert. Pay attention to your surroundings. Whether you're old or young, don't go to sleep where you are. Stand up. Be, pay attention. Some of you are in the military. I don't, think you were, I don't think your commanding officers appreciate if you went to sleep when you're supposed to be standing guard. Be alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like strong men. Of course, Galatians 5, 1, only co conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Please notice this. So that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. This is what we all do here tonight, folks. We stand firm. We stand firm in one spirit. We stand firm with one mind because we have one job. Striving together for the faith of the gospel. 1 Thessalonians 3.8, for now we really live. He's talking about the joy he has as, as uh, leading these to Christ. I really live if you stand firm in the Lord. There's nothing that brings delight to a pastor, to, a, to church leaders, than to see God's people stand firm. You stand up against world systems. You stand your ground against compromise. You stand your ground against temptation. You, you stand your ground against uh, corrupt conversation and corrupt associations. You stand your ground. You stand up. You don't stumble. You, I know something about stumbling. Recently, you don't stumble. You pay attention to what you're doing. Because I wasn't paying attention, that's why I stumbled. Don't fall. Stand your ground. Stand up. Don't sit. Stand. Don't slip. Stand. Don't drift away. Stand your ground. Stay where you are. God's placed you where He's placed you, given you a place of ministry as a believer in Christ. Stand firm. In the Lord. Don't stand firm because you think you're strong enough. Don't stand firm because you think you're smart. Don't stand strong because you think you've got the good associations and friends in the church. Stand firm, not in the church, not in your own strength. Stand firm in the Lord. I'm exhorting you tonight. Stand firm in the Lord. When you're old, stand firm in the Lord. When you're young, stand firm in the Lord. Stand firm. Every day you're here while we're running for heaven, while our citizenship is there and we wait on our blessed Lord Jesus to come, knowing that it is near, stand firm. You stay at your post. You do what you're supposed to do for the glory of God. 
Ephesians 6 is our famous thing. We teach our boys and girls this. We teach our children. We love to talk about the armor of God, but do you put it on? Do you wear the armor of God? Do you live in the armor of God? Put on the full armor of God. The full armor. So that you will be able to stand firm against what? Devilish schemes. Devilish schemes. The devil's pattern, his schemes, his devices, his ways are known to us. Clearly the Word of God helps us to understand the devices of the evil one. His schemes, his schema is the Greek word. Against the schema of the devil. It's the same pattern of questioning God's authority, uh, you know, appealing to our flesh and our pride, and then once we've done it, accusing us of being horrible and terrible. It's the scheme of the devil. It's the scheme of the devil. Stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Stand firm, as, as we know in Ephesians 6, because we wrestle not against flesh and blood. This battle we're in is one with evil forces that are real, demonic and real evil forces. Though the church sometimes acts as if there is no spiritual enemy, you have a great enemy who hates you and would seek to do anything to discredit your testimony for Jesus Christ. You have a mark on you. You are saved. He is after you. Stand firm. Resist Him. Rebuke Him in the name of the Lord. Stand therefore having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and then Paul goes on. Number one, stand firm in these last days. I, I should have mentioned this. If the last phrase of verse 5 doesn't matter to us, the rest of this has no urgency. If it says the Lord might be near, if it says the Lord possibly is near, or if it says the Lord perhaps is near, that would be different. But Paul makes it clear under inspiration that this is the total disconnect of the American church and the Word of God. My dear friends, the apostles personally heard the Lord Jesus speak. And they knew that the Lord Jesus said, the time is near. We, we want time to linger because we have lots of things we want to do in this world. Any preacher that starts to talk about the end is near is considered, especially in these days, a nutcase. There are theological systems and ideas that are developed that somehow postpone this or rationalize this away as if this is not true. The the fact is that you can take these four words at the end of verse 4 and do whatever you want with them, but they mean this. The Lord is near. And I want to end with that tonight, but I have to start with it because that's where we are. If I live in the light of the nearness of the Lord's return, how do I live? If I really believe that Jesus Christ is soon to come, 
and I've not listened to Dr. So-and-so and rationalized it all away and have ignored the Word of God and what it says about the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ, how will I live? Well, first I'll stand firm because the Lord is going to come. Secondly, believers should live in harmony, helping one another in these last days. Well, you thought that only churches have difficult times with each other and fights with each other in the modern world. Well, here we are. Of all things, what does Paul have to say to these two women? Get along. Live in harmony. Phroneo. Live in harmony. It's a phrase. It's one word in Greek. We put it in these three words in English. Live in harmony. Phroneo. Have understanding. Agree together. Have any of you ever heard the saying, you understand to be understood? So how do we do this in our relationships with our husbands and wives? We understand one another in order to be understood. I've spoken with lots of our uh, young men about this in, in their marriage. You have to understand your wife before you're going to be understood. And if you don't understand your wife, don't worry. She'll help you understand who she is. This matter of understanding helps us to be understood. Understand one another. Understand where people are coming from. Understand the conditions of their life. Understand. Understand phroneo. Understand. Now, this important matter of having understanding and agreement together. This is what he's saying here. While we're in this world where we're going to have disharmony, we're going to have disagreements, but all of us. Notice this beautiful uh, statement. Uh, he says, he says uh, indeed, companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggles in the cause of the gospel. Yodia and Syntyche were very important. These women were important in the advance of the gospel in this church. Paul appreciated them. And so it's what he said earlier. I, I put it down here for you. If we could learn to live like Philippians 2.2 at First Baptist Church Dixon, we would advance the gospel even more rapidly, being of the same mind. Being same-minded. Maintaining the same love. United in our spirit. And intent on one purpose, the advance of the gospel. When we do that, we're living in harmony Helping one another in the last days. And you have to help me and I have to help you. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. Any of you who know any of these truths about the coming of the Lord, it will be a judgment and a sad and terrible time will come when the church is removed and all of these things begin to happen on the earth. There'll be no more opportunity Judgment will begin, and all of those terrible, terrible judgments in the book of Revelation begin to be released. Believers, thirdly, should rejoice in the Lord in these days. Cairo is the Greek word. Rejoice. Be glad. Be glad. Be glad. We should be glad, people. Gladness. Rejoice. Please notice now, in the Lord. 
Sometimes we read this and, and it's preached and taught in the idea that just we'll just be a rejoicing, glad person. The only way I can be glad is to have, a, is to have an object. You see, gladness is tied to an object. I'm glad because I have a good job. I'm glad because my children are healthy. I'm glad because whatever you pick, put it, put in there the object you want. The object is rejoice in the Lord. And I ask the people who are listening to me tonight, all of you in this room and those who are listening beyond, how often do you fill your mind with the joy and gladness of considering and thinking about the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ in His person. Do you just think about what Jesus does for you? You're glad because He saves you. You're glad because He chooses you. You're glad because He helps you. You're glad because He'll transform you. But do you just pause and do you have a joy and a gladness in who Jesus Christ is? In His person. In His glorious person. Rejoice that He fills you with the fruit of righteousness. I just went through, I, just, I, gave you the, I gave you the joy that comes just from this book. I could have gone further, but look what I've given you here in your outline. Rejoice that He fills you with the fruit of righteousness. That's verse 11 of chapter 1. Rejoice in His completing His work in you. That's 1-6. Rejoice in His humiliation and His death on the cross for you. That's where we spent all of that time and the mind of Christ too, 5-8. to eight. Rejoice that He is Lord. Rejoice that He is Lord. In every tongue will confess that He is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Rejoice. He is our coming Savior. Chapter 3.20, we just read it. Rejoice in His power and authority, chapter 321, to transform our bodies because He has the power to do it. Rejoice in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, His sacrificial grace, His loving grace, His saving grace, His rich grace, His sustaining grace, His abiding grace, His abundant grace, and I could have gone on. And I'm speaking to people tonight who, as Paul says to the Corinthians, you know you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know it. This is not an uninformed group I speak to. You know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That though He was rich, yet for your sake, our sake, He became poor so that through His poverty, we might become rich. Rejoice in the Lord. Delight in the Lord. You know, when you, when you joy over your grandchildren or your children, you delight in them. There's delight. I wonder tonight where you are in your spiritual life regarding your own delight, your delight, delightfulness in thinking about, glorifying, worshiping, our Lord Jesus Christ. Delight yourself in the Lord, David said in 37.4 of the Psalms. In Psalm 111.2, Great are the works of the Lord. Look, listen to this. This is the other part. It's what He does. Delight not only in the Lord and who He is, but in what He does. Great are the works of the Lord. They are studied. They are studied. 
by all who delight in them. So believers should constantly stand firm in these last days because the Lord is near. Believers should live in harmony, helping one another in these last days because the Lord is near. Believers should rejoice in the Lord in these last days because the Lord is near. And fourth, believers should be known for their gentleness because the Lord is near. He is coming soon. Look at this interesting word here in verse 5. Let, allow, permit is the idea here. As you're rejoicing in the Lord, what happens? There comes to be a gentleness in you. Let your gentle spirit, this, this Greek word is the word for mild, equitable. It's an equitable, balanced attitude. It's not a... It's not a, a uh, one extreme or the other. It's, it's a middle. It's a mildness. It's a mildness in our spirit. The best illustration in the gospel, you know it, is that absolutely demon-possessed, crazed man in the graves who met the Lord Jesus, those, that demon-possessed madman breaking chains, and chains, he couldn't be tied up and held down. But when he knew the Lord Jesus, what did they say? The people came out and saw him sitting there, sitting in his right mind. That's mildness. When you get saved, you calm down. When you get saved, you calm down. That's why sometimes it's amazing to me that you, you meet with people in the church who seem so agitated, so, so stirred, and so angry. Oh, when I come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, notice what are we known by? Aggressiveness? Did you see it here? Let your gentle spirit be known to all men, the wicked and the righteous. When people see you, let others see Jesus in you. Do they see the mildness and the gentleness of the Lord Jesus in you and in me? Well, I've had a lot of people do hard things to me. Yes, well, join the human race. Get in line. I believe everybody's got that story. You're going to live off of the pain and blaming somebody else for what's happened? Or are you going to say, thank God I'm saved. I'm a new man or woman in Christ. And allow the gentleness of God, the Holy Spirit of God, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. I believe that's one of the fruit of the Spirit. That's part of the fruit of the Spirit. If I'm truly saved, there is a gentleness about me. Oh, if I get gentle, somebody will take advantage of me. Well, Okay. Sounds like you got paranoia and you need to deal with it. That's what it sounds like to me. You see, we're to have a humble spirit. Uh, Philippians 2.5. Have this attitude in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. We're to have a hopeful attitude. That's what we were just looking at in detail. Chapter 3, 14 to 15. About pressing on. 
I'm reaching, I'm running for heaven, I got hope because I'm going to be transformed and be with the Lord Jesus. And now we have a gentle attitude. This is the demeanor of those who are mature in Christ. We live in humility and hopefulness and gentleness. Gentleness in our words and our actions. Gentleness when treated wrongly. A gentleness when suffering trials. What did James say in 317? The wisdom from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, reasonable, listen, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. Now that's a list. That's describing James's way of talking about the fruit of the Spirit. The wisdom that comes to us, the way, the, the mindset, the approach we have because we're now saved. The world is, a, is not a gentle place. It's a brutal place. And we've been saved out of its brutality. And now we must demonstrate our gentleness. Even to the point, what's happened to the church throughout all these years? Like lambs led to the slaughter. The martyrs of the church go on to this very day. But we submit to whatever God produces in our lives because believers must remember that the Lord is near. If I told you tonight, it's 727 and 20 seconds. If I told you, by the way, 8 o'clock, Jesus will be here, would you change anything in your life? Would anything be readjusted? This word near is a Greek word that means of time. It's a, it's a time word. It means imminent, soon to come to pass. Remember what Peter had to answer? Where's the promise of His coming? Everything seems to be the same. Nothing's changed. Apparently the Lord lied to His disciples. He hasn't come. They believed He would come. He hasn't come yet. Even Peter was saying it in his, in his letter. The Lord is patient, not wishing that any should perish, but all should come to eternal life. The only thing that keeps the Lord Jesus from coming is the patience of God with sinners so that they might be saved. So the Lord said, I'm just going to highlight these and we'll be done. I want to leave you tonight by questioning, asking you, excuse me, asking you to question yourself, do I really live with a mentality that Jesus is about to come again? Or have I thought myself out of it? Have I had it taught out of me? Have I had those who've gone to the Word of God and strung it together in such ways that's destroyed your feelings about the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. I can tell you this, when you have no desire, when you have no impression that the Lord is imminently coming, you don't care whether you do evangelism because you've got plenty of time. It doesn't really matter. If you think, you know, there is no coming of the Lord and we're just saved and it's just going to get better and better, you really are deranged. You didn't get that joke, did you? It's not going to get better and better. The Word of God says it's going to devolve. These are the last days. 
It's going to get worse. The end is near. The Lord Jesus said, now learn the parable for the, from, at the end of all of His uh, discussion of last things and the order of things and the pattern of it and all the rest. Now learn the parable from the fig tree when its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves and you know that summer is near. So you too, when you see all these things, recognize that He is near right at the door. James remembered that. The brother of the Lord Jesus. Do not complain, brethren, against one another. By the way, you know the Lord Jesus when He rose from the dead. One of the people He met with personally was James, His brother. wonder what they talked about. I'm sure they talked about His return. So James says, Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. Peter says, The end of all things is near. Therefore be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. John even ups it. He uses the phrase that the Lord Jesus used. He talked about, remember, the hour, the hours, the hours of His glorification by death. And now the last days, the la notice this, this is very important. Children, it is the last hour. We all know that with the Lord, a thousand years is as a day, and a day is a thousand years. We know that in the economy and plan of God, beyond time and space and eternity, Days are counted differently. It's a different approach. But because it's from an eternal perspective, it's the end. It's the last hour. If I've only got an hour left to live, what will I do? Please let me read the rest of 1 John 2.18 to you. Why is it the last hour? Just as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, Antichrist will come as we learn from the Word of God. A foul, wicked man. Daniel talks about him. He'll come. We see it in Thessalonians. Even now, many antichrists have appeared. From this we know, it is the last hour. And we know what the antichrist always says. Jesus Christ is not come in the flesh. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave to him to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy of Revelation and heed the things which are written in it for the time is near. And the, the end of all of our scriptures in the last chapter, yes, I am coming quickly. You see, it's all in your perspective of time. You see, the Lord is near when you understand it from a heavenly perspective, not a calendar on the earth. Because now we see the glorious patience of God so that sinners might repent. There is a door of salvation open to all who will believe. How long will the door of salvation be open? So tonight, my dear brothers and sisters, the end is near, so stand firm in the Lord. 
The end is near. Live in harmony and help one another. The end is near. Rejoice in the Lord. The end is near. Let your gentleness be seen and known by all men, even the most wicked and ungodly who hate you and despise who you are in Jesus Christ. And pray every day, Come, Lord Jesus. Yes. Good to see you all tonight. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Word of God. We thank you for the blessings of your Word. It enriches us. It it revitalizes us. It stirs us. So now, we ask that you would help us to live in these final hours, this final time, before you come in such a way that we would lead as many people to Jesus Christ as we can and do our best to disciple diligently those who come to Christ and do our work fully while we wait eagerly for you to return. And we pray, come Lord Jesus. And we thank you for our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Good to see you. If you don't know someone sitting by you, say hello, introduce yourself. And God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you Sunday. God bless you all who've been watching tonight. We miss you. We love you. Come when you can. God bless you.